0: Good evening. I wish you were here. It's very quiet in this room, but that's okay because the Holy Spirit is here. Okay, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. Lord God, I know that even though this room isn't full with people right now, that your presence is here, Lord Jesus. I pray that you use me today, speak through me today, Lord God. I pray that Everyone, wherever they're at, hearing the sound of my voice would would hear your voice and the message you have for them individually, Lord. In your holy name, amen. Amen. Okay, sermon today is called Beloved Brothers. Uh, We're looking at Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 14. Now, we're almost at the end of the letter Paul wrote from prison. We've been going through the book of Colossians now uh, for a little while throughout the summer. And we're almost to the end um, of this letter. Now, Paul writes this, uh, this letter from prison in Rome um, to a church in Colossians that he's never even uh, met in person before. Uh, but he leads them through and helps them because of strong men that help him serve in the ministry. Now, in this part of his letter, uh, Paul is making note of some of those strong men that serve with him. Um, And the team he is with while he's in chains in prison um, because no one can do ministry alone. So let's look in Colossians chapter 4. We'll start in verse 7 through 14. It says this. Tychicus, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus who is called justice. These are my only fellow workers from the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proven to be a comfort to me. A papyrus who is one of you, a servant of Christ, greets you, always laboring, fervent for you in prayer, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. My first point is this. You can't do it alone. You need a team. Let's take a quick look at the team that Paul has put together here. We have Tychicus, long-standing partner in Paul, of Paul and ministry. And we'll talk more about him in a little bit. We have Onesimus. He's a relatively new recruit and former slave. We'll talk about him a little bit more in a minute. We have Aristarchus. Now, Aristarchus appears a couple times in the book of Acts. Uh the first time is when Demetrius the uh, idol maker in Ephesus uh stirred up a huge riot uh because Paul came in and said you don't need idols anymore and so that's wrecking Demetrius's uh uh business and so there a huge riot ensues and guess who gets hauled into the assembly in front of everybody Aristarchus he's one of those who gets uh it gets caught up by the rioting crowds on Paul's behalf. He also traveled on the ship to Rome to see Caesar and was shipwrecked with Paul in Malta. So you see him show up again when uh, Paul is a prisoner and he appeals to Caesar and they send him on this uh, prisoner ship. Aristarchus is right there with him, he gets shipwrecked with him and everything. So he's been with Paul a long time and he's a faithful, faithful brother in the ministry. It also talks about Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. And uh, in, in my studies, it said uh, that he may be one of the 70 that Jesus had sent out in Luke chapter 10. Let me read that Luke chapter 10, verse one through three. <clears throat> After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two his face into uh, two by two before his face in every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, the harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. So he's the cousin of Barnabas, one of Paul's closest allies in his first missionary journey. Um, And he's one that Jesus sent out himself, truly a heavy hitter for the Lord. And the ministry. Then we have Epaphras. Epaphras is the one who first brought the good news to the Colossians. Epaphras somehow came in contact with Paul, probably through ministry, uh, and then in maybe in Ephesus, and then he took the good news back to Colossae, and he actually helped plant that church. And now he's working with Paul to bring ministry to the Colossians, because Paul, being in prison, haven't actually met them in the flesh. That's Epaphras who's doing all that work in Paul's stead. Then we also have Luke, the doctor. We know who Luke is, right? There's the gospel of Luke. It's one of the books of the Bible. Uh, He wrote the book of Acts as well. He's a doctor. He did a lot of scribe work for Paul, following Paul around, documenting all the work that Paul has been doing. We know a lot about Paul because of the work of Luke. These are some heavy hitters. I mean, Paul didn't do this work alone. There's many other people listed in scripture when you read through the New Testament that Paul worked with and that helped Paul out that he mentions by name as people he's worked with uh, quite a few uh, solid people that he works with in the ministry. Now, you know that I'm a firefighter. And so, what's interesting about this and being a firefighter, especially around especially around church circles, is that a lot of times when there's a possibility of danger, uh, people always say something like, "Well, it'll be okay because Jay is with us. <laughs> like, I could save the day all by myself. It's fine. We'll just go into danger. Jay's with us. Everything's going to be okay." And I'm like, "Yes, of course I know what to do. I'll just call 911." Because you need tools and people and teams and resources. I mean, I remember one time when we were at the warehouse uh, over on um, East Valley, West Valley. Uh, we were over at the warehouse in West Valley. And right at the intersection down there at the church, there was a car accident. Uh, it looked like a T-bone. One of the cars had rolled over. So I'm standing in the foyer area there just talking away. It was right after service. And someone comes running in. Jay, Pastor Jay, we need you. Right now there's been an accident. I'm like, okay, alright, let's go. So I pop out the door and it's, you know, several hundred yards down to the intersection and, and so I'm looking down there trying to assess the scene and so I start jogging down the other end and I get out my cell phone and I start calling 911. And so I jog down there and I get down there and yeah, one car's on its side and it's blocking the intersection. But it's Sunday, so there's nobody really on the roads, no traffic backups. There's several people standing around, some people sitting on curbs. And so I realized no one was still in their cars. No one was seriously hurt. And then I start hearing sirens in the distance. So like, oh, they clearly don't need me. As soon as the fire engine pulled up, I just segued right out of there and walked back up to the church. And I get back and some people are standing there on bated breath waiting to see what I did to save, you know, the entire world out there. And one of them says, you know, it's really weird. It looked like as you were going down there that you were on the phone or something. What were you doing? I'm like, I was calling 911. What am I... We just going to go down there without a team because firefighters always work in teams. We all have our individual roles. We all play a part in this thing. We never are alone. We never do it alone. I mean, I mean, yeah, I know what to do. Like I'm probably not the only one who sat in a Sunday service and planned out who my team was going to be. If somebody went into cardiac arrest, am I the only one who's done that? I look around and there's my brother, Dan. I'm like, hey, you're with me right here on the ground. i say, Pastor Matt, I'd say, go call 911 because he knows everything about the church, all the directions. And he's got uh, he's calm and he's got knows enough medical knowledge to, d- to describe everything that 911 would need to know. I'd look for Greg Lavelle. I'd say, hey, go get me the AED in the back and bring it here and start clearing some chairs and controlling people. He'd be all on top of it. I'd be like, where's Jen Mallorca? She's rotating in next. No one else has thought this through. The reality is I wouldn't be able to do it on my own. Nobody can do it on their own. And the same thing goes when you're talking about ministry. Everybody's got a role. There's always a part to play. If we look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, it says this. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. See, there's many roles in the church when it comes to ministry that makes it all happen. It says... Equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. That means you. This church thing is not a spectator sport. Uh, this the church culture is somewhat evolved into this culture where you as a consumer you come and, and you uh you know have a good show and was the music good today and did the sermon apply to you today and you come in and you sit and then you go out. And that's kind of the, the, the way the evangelical church culture has evolved. And it's not that way here. And it shouldn't be that way. The, the pastors and the teachers and the preachers. His job is to equip the people to do the work of the ministry. To talk to other men and women. To invite them to church and Bible studies. To read the word together. To encourage each other. That's your job. You need to be doing that stuff. It also says edifying of the body of Christ. That's building up their character and knowledge in the word. So that is more than just the job of the pastors and preachers. That's all our job to build each other up and to know our word better so that we can minister better. There's a hurting world out there that needs Jesus. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9 and 10. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor For if they fall, uh, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. See, that's the problem. And I think especially I see it with men is that you we tend to have built this isolation around ourselves in terms of our day-to-day life. If you look at houses now, people don't really park in driveways anymore. They have a garage, which is the first door you see in the house. So the goal is, is that you can uh, leave work out of your garage, not see or talk to anybody, especially your neighbors, drive to work, drive back home and go directly into your garage, shut the door, and you never have to talk to anybody. And so we find ourselves isolated. So when a crisis happens, when there's a problem anywhere, we don't have anybody to turn to. And so if your church existence is one where you get out of your car, you come directly in and sit down. Don't talk to anybody. Leave right when the service is over before anybody has a chance to greet you. Then when things happen and you need a word from the Lord and and you feel like you're struggling emotionally, You have no one there to help lift you up. But guess what? You can't be there to lift anybody else up either. We need each other. Proverbs chapter 27 verse 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens the countenance of his friends. That goes for women too. We sharpen each other. We keep each other ready to go into battle. Even the amazing Paul couldn't do ministry alone. He was in chains a lot of the time, honestly. I mean, read through it. Most of the time he's in jail somewhere. There's many, many cities that needed the good news, so it took many people, many faithful beloved brothers and sisters serving by his side to bring that good news. My second point is this: it's not how you started, it's how you'll finish. Let's look at Tychicus again. He's the first person Paul mentions in today's scriptures. He is spoken of many times in the New Testament in many different books. He's one of Paul's most faithful ministers. He served in Asia and many places. He has a great track record. He's clearly trusted. He also appears, he's appearing now in Colossians, which occurs about 52 53 AD. And so we see him appear again in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, which is about 10 years later, about 62 63 time frame. And he's still by Paul's side 10 years later, continuing to minister with Paul. That's a long track record. He's described by Paul as a beloved brother. Then we have Onesimus. He's the second person Paul mentions in our scriptures today. He's a fugitive slave from the town of Colossae, possibly also a thief. It doesn't really say why he ran away or why he's a fugitive, but he clearly ran for some reason. Now, he's uh, he's mentioned uh, he meets Paul in a Roman prison because Paul's in prison. And so somehow he gets in contact with Paul in prison. Possibly he was serving some time there too in the jail. I don't know. I mean, however he got there and whatever his life course was, uh, somehow he ran into a guy who's currently in jail. My guess, maybe he was serving some time there too. But he got saved and he became Paul's spiritual son. Uh, the other part where Anisimus is being talked about is the letter to Philemon, which is actually written at this exact same time. Philemon chapter 1 verses 10 and 11 say this. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. Now that's spiritual son. Clearly Onesimus isn't Paul's biological son. His spiritual son Onesimus. Who I have begotten while in my chains. Who once was unprofitable or useless to you. But is now profitable or useful uh, to you and to me. It's an interesting play on words Paul uses there. Because the name Onesimus means Useful. So the idea that he ran away as a fugitive meant he was useless. And now Paul's saying, now he is my spiritual son and he is useful to both of us. Clearly, Paul is sending him as basically the uh, the envoy of Tychicus and Onesimus going with this letter, bringing the news, almost as a commendation. And Phile- um, Philemon 1, uh, in, in also fifteen verse 15 and 16, it says this. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. He describes, Paul describes Onesimus as a beloved brother. Now he's described these two different men who seem to be total opposites, But they're now in the same place in Christ now. They seem like their opposites have come from different directions. Paul's now calling them both beloved brothers. And they're both together right now at the same time doing the same thing in ministry for the Lord. They have lived different lives, backgrounds right now together. Because it's not how you started, it's how you finished. That is what that counts. Now, our church is diverse. There's a lot of different backgrounds in this church. People have been a lot of different places before they got here. And uh, I think because of that, you can recognize with me and identify with the idea that it's not where you started, it's where you finished. Because you could just look at your brothers and sisters and see where they've come from and where they're at now. Have some talks, man. Build some relationships. Go out to coffee with some people. You'll be shocked at who you talk to and where they've been and what they've overcome in their lives. It's amazing, but you have to build those relationships to find that stuff out. 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 8 through 10 says this. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each of you have received a gift, minister to it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That's our role with each other. That's what we need to be doing. Pastor John Butcher said, he he came here and he preached one time, and I I won't forget it. I wrote it down. He said, have a growth mentality, not a goal mentality. And I thought that was really good because me personally, I tend to have a mentality that's a goal mentality. I set a goal, and I drive really, really hard to hit that goal. Um, But the problem is, is after reaching a goal like that, people tend to let off the gas and lose their incentive and just fall off. But if you have a growth mentality, growth is never-ending. Uh, trying to get better every day, sanctification in the Lord is a journey. But I tend to have a goal mentality. And so um, things just kind of go awry once the goals hit. I remember um, this was a few years ago. I set the goal of that I was going to read the entire Bible in 90 days. Now, I'm, I'm a relatively slow reader, so this was a huge undertaking. For me, it took about... <clears throat> For me, it was going to take about an hour a day, every single day for me to achieve that goal. And so some days I would miss it and I would have to make it up. And so there were days that I would read my Bible three hours a day, just pounding through it, trying to make my goal because I didn't want to give up on it. it you know, I, I, I needed to do it, but you know what? I haven't been able to do it since. I haven't been able to spend time like that. I haven't read the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation like that since, straight through. But hit my goal was my 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 the important thing. Not necessarily the fact that I couldn't really remember a lot of what I read. Pounding through it, read too much. Now I read pretty slow. I draw it out because I need to gain growth through understanding of the scriptures I read. I can't do that when I'm just pounding through on a schedule. No, there's nothing wrong with pounding through on a schedule and uh, meeting that goal. I, I got this huge broad scope of the whole Bible as a whole But I just can't keep doing that. I'll just fall off at the end every time. I can't just set goals. I hit those goals. I'm going to fall off. I need to have growth mentality. Now your growth can't end with achieving minister of the gospel. We see all these men that Paul listed. They're all ministering the gospel. They're all part of Paul's trusted men. But if if your growth ends with minister of the gospel as great as that goal is. It's really not going to do you any good in the long run. You can't just say, as soon as I achieve this title, or as soon as I achieve this status in the church, then we just coast. It's not how it works. And let me tell you why. Look at Demas. Remember Demas? He was the last person on that list that Paul listed, included in his faithful, faithful ministers in our verses today. We see Demon, uh, Demas mentioned one other time. It's in that letter to Timothy in 2nd Timothy chapter 4, 10 years later. 2nd Timothy chapter 4 verse 10 says this, For Demas has forsaken me. Having loved this present world, he has departed for Thessalonica. New Living Translation says, love the things of this life. Man, what happened to Demas, man? Like at this time, uh, with a letter to the church in Colossians, he's in there. He's doing the right thing. He's got the best mentor you could probably have next to Jesus himself. He's got a heavy hitter crew he's hanging out with. Luke and Tychicus and, uh, Aristarchus and all these guys. And he's sitting here ten years later, uh, just falling off completely. And, and Paul has to basically Warn Timothy about it. Like, Demas is no more. He fell off. And I mean, I don't know how long you've been around the church world. But we see that kind of stuff happen. And you've probably seen it happen. Where people come in strong. Maybe they serve a lot. Maybe they're the, the face of the place. And then all of a sudden they disappear. All of a sudden they move to the back row. And then you're just not around anymore. And people will say, hey, whatever happened to so and so? And that's just how it works sometimes. You see people drift away. You see them get further and further away from their word, away from relationships. And then all of a sudden, they go the way of Demas and they just disappear. Jesus will make you into the person he needs you to be to serve him. It's not going to be some title. It's not just hanging out with Paul. Jesus is going to make you the person you need to be. Ephesians chapter 4, 15 and 16. But speaking the truth in love, may you grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, for whom the whole body joined in it together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for edifying of itself in love. You must continue to grow to be more like Christ. Not just for your sake, but for the sake of your co-workers in the ministry. Remember, iron sharpens iron. It's not all about you. I mean, there's parts of it that are about you, right? You've got to grow. You've got to show up. You end up on the schedule. That's you. But sharpening iron together it's got to be more than just about you. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. This is a really interesting verse that I feel like in our uh, me first kind of culture that we really skip over that idea. Um, we're really quite focused on our own growth and our, our, and our own progress. Uh, I mean, th- there's many Christians that you can see on, you know, the internet or social media that it's really about their journey, what's going on with them, what's Christ done in their life. And I look at uh, the community of believers and think about, The thought that your focus shouldn't be on your own everything. Like clearly you have to focus on your own growth. Clearly you have to make parts of your faith about you. But this verse says, don't let anything be done through selfish ambition and conceit. You got to ask yourself, is how you're spending your day glorifying the Lord? Is it lifting others up or is it only lifting yourself up? Is it only glorifying you? And I think that's the danger somewhat of social media. Is social media set up for it to be all about you? Advertising, media, even if you watch the news, you can see this thread of them trying to make it about you. Sometimes just simply to scare you, but mostly to make you feel like they're talking to you and it's important to you. That's what the whole world's about on media is you. And I think sometimes we have to peel way back and think about what we're doing it for. In, lowly, in lowliness of mind, each esteeming others better than ourselves. We really sit back and look at our behavior and how we spend our day and how we spend our time on social media or in the congregation or whatever we're doing we really got to do some self-reflection and say, are we being uh, in an essence of lowliness of mind, esteeming others better than ourself or looking out for other people's interests? I'll tell you, it's hard, man. It's hard. I often find myself seeking out my own interests. Um, I've had times in my life where I felt threatened or uh, pushed to the side or like if I don't fight for myself, no one's going to fight for me. And what that does is it makes you have this victim mentality that says you're the only one that counts. And that if you don't fight for yourself, no one's going to, which makes it very difficult to put somebody else's interests first because you don't feel like anyone's going to put your interests anywhere. But that's part of having that community in Christ is that we build a level of trust as beloved brothers that we can know that the other is going to look out for our interests, too. So as we get to the end of this, I want you to think about this. Maybe you're Tychicus and you've been a Christian for a long while, served in many parts of the ministry. Maybe you've been faithful. You're that person people look at and go, oh yeah, of course that person is going to do the right thing and be a part of the community and faith. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're sitting out there today and that's who you're relating with. Or maybe you're Onesimus. Maybe you just got out of prison or off drugs. Or you've had all these kind of problems and holdups in your life. And you're kind of coming to Christ later in your life. And you have a lot of uh, bad track record that you may be embarrassed about. Or ashamed about or afraid to have other people know about. Because you're brand new with this thing. Maybe that's you. You feel a little bit uh, disqualified to serve. Maybe you identify with Onesimus. Or maybe... You're becoming Demas. You're letting off the gas. You stopped growing. You're drifting back into the world. You're starting to put your focus on other things. Maybe yourself and your own pleasures rather than the community uh, brotherhood of ministry that you were serving with. Well, for whoever you identify with, today is your day to get back on the journey of growth again. Today is the day that if you feel like you're far along and solid, you can go help those people who feel like they're disqualified and concerned if they fit in with the greater group of Christ. Because you saw in the beginning, you saw both of those two, the solid long-term faithful one and the brand new to Christ fugitive one. We're doing the exact same ministry at the exact same time. So there's no reason that any one of us, any two of us, can't be doing the same ministry at the same time as we move forward. Just don't be Demas. Yeah. Just don't be Demas, and be going down the right track and then kind of lose sight of the goal. Don't be, let that be you. Because Jesus Christ makes you qualified and capable, not your time in the, the wine-colored seats. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 and 21 said this. Now, may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. And Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. And my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and and glory uh, by Christ Jesus. We're all all in this together. And the reality is, we all make mistakes. And, you know, uh, sometimes we win and sometimes we lose. And the thing we have to do as a community of Christ is not hang each other out to dry when we make mistakes. It's not to turn our backs on each other and say, oh... They're they a Demas now. You know what? If he's a Demas now, where's everybody else? How come they didn't chase Demas down and say, you don't want to do this. Maybe Paul was tied up in prison at the time and couldn't stop him. Where's everybody else? We can't let people go that route. We have to step in and be there for each other. And if somebody seems like they're making mistakes and going the wrong direction, we have to get with each other and lift each other up. And we can't just let people give up. And we can't give up on each other. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32. And be kind to one another. Tender hearted. Forgiving one another. Even as God and Christ forgave you. Because God forgave you. You have the power. And the obligation. To forgive your brothers and sisters. That's really what it comes down to. In every season of your growth. In every level of your sanctification. In any seat that you sit in. You have to recognize that you were obligated to forgive your brothers and sisters because Christ forgave you. Now, a pushback I've gotten, and I think I just really just got it this last week, is someone was basically uh, choosing to not be forgiving because the other person was still being a jerk and being unforgiving. I'm like, yeah, but we were all enemies of Christ before he forgave us. So... We really don't have that precedence in scripture to not offer forgiveness to others just because they're still being a wayward jerk. Maybe the forgiveness that you offer will remind them who Christ is to them and draw them back into the fold. Now, understanding that maybe you right now today haven't given your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you are still an enemy of Christ. And you need that forgiveness because honestly, you can't truly forgive others unless you've truly been forgiven yourself. So if that's you right now today and you're watching this and you're within the sound of my voice, you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. He is the Savior, the only Savior. You need to admit that you are a sinner, that you're on the wrong path. And the only way to get on the right path is to have a savior save you from it. And then you have to believe that Jesus Christ is that savior who could save you from yourself, save you from this world. And then you have to confess your sins to him and pray that he will forgive you. And then you have to live a new life for Jesus Christ. So if you've never done that before and um, you want to, I mean, right now is your moment. There's, there's no better moment than right now to do that. So why don't we just bow our heads, and I want you to say this prayer from, with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the King and Savior. Lord Jesus, please forgive me for the wrongs I've done and the sins I've committed. Lord God, I want to dedicate my life to you right now, Jesus. Please receive me as your own. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer today and you've given your heart to Jesus Christ today, would you just get on uh, the website and uh, just email one of those email addresses? Just let us know so we can be in prayer for you when we resume Um, whenever this year provides us with the ability to have in-person services again, I pray that you just show up and be part of this in-person family when the time comes. But until then, get plugged in and connected because we'd love to have you be part of the family. So everybody, hey, thanks for being, uh, with us tonight. Uh, until we meet again, we just love you and we're praying for you and just keep drawing into the Lord Jesus Christ. Goodbye.